And so it gives me great pleasure to welcome my friend, uh, Tracy Going, uh, TV presenter, journalist person, and now author. That's right. It's finally out. Um, I know you've held my hand quite a bit over the last few months as well and supported me and been there for me when I've had a couple of meltdowns and we shared a lot of the process together. Yes, we did. Um, yeah, and it's finally out and I'm very excited to see it and I'm very happy to see you waving it around in your hand in the studio. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it the most amazing feeling to see it? And you know what's so lovely is that when I first saw a, a copy of, of mine and I wasn't expecting it to be, it was at the book lounge and I didn't know it had arrived and there it was. But now, because um, and so many of my friends are also authors. And then when I saw your book at the waterfront at Exclusives, I mean, the first thing I did was take a picture, and it's so exciting. It is exciting. It really is. Um, I'm very happy with it. I'm very proud of it. And it also just to have finally been able to speak out because I was silenced through the process so many years ago so to actually see it out there and to be telling finally feeling as though I can speak and I can be heard has been quite momentous as well so I'm a little overwhelmed by the entire process and a little overwhelmed by the response that I received to it and yeah there it is so uh, if you got a copy of the uh, the time today? The Sunday Times. Sunday Times. Yes. If you uh, grabbed yourself a copy of the Sunday Times, you'll have seen uh, Tracy in there looking in all her glamorous glory. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. Uh, and it there's an extract from the book. So uh, I hope you've, uh, if you if you haven't yet read it, please go and read it. And please, more importantly, uh, go and buy the book. And uh, I am going to just do uh, the first of many plugs for the book launch, uh, which is happening this Wednesday, which I believe to be the 28th. That's right. Am I Wednesday correct? Wednesday 28th at the book lounge, and you're going to be talking to me. I so, am. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so please. So a sneak preview of some of the questions you're going to Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Although I've got, I've got to keep a few behind uh, just to keep in my pocket for, for, for surprise value. Uh, but, uh, yes, largely uh, a lot of the questions. Now, I first read this book, uh, and, I, and I also give a shout-out uh, on the book, and it was an absolute pleasure to do that. Me and also one of my absolute favourites, uh, Sasonke Samang, who is just her book. Oh, just is incredible. Well, I, I, I wanted two powerful women speaking out Aww. with me, so thank you very much. Well, no. Your kind and generous words. No, are you kidding? It, it really is utterly gripping and superbly written. Uh, so I, uh, I, when I first got the book, I was reading it on my iPhone because Melinda Ferguson, our mutual publisher, who of course is going to be joining us later uh, in the show for Night Rider, uh, she said, please, will you just read the book and, and do a shout? And I said, it's fine. She said, we haven't even gone to print yet. It's not a problem. Just send it to me. So I first read this book, all 206 pages of mm -hmm. it, um, on this very small screen, uh, which is not the ideal reading situation. I'm not a Kindle person. I don't like reading off screen. I certainly don't re like reading no, off the screen. No, you're a book person. We, um, want, we want to smell the page. I you need to be to able to touch and feel exactly right. Uh, so uh, the book was finally delivered to my house uh, on Friday and I was so excited and essentially, I mean I haven't I haven't put it down and it's it's a lot easier to read um, when you can turn pages and also when you can kind of put the book down for a minute and somebody's not going to nobody's going to call me on the book you know what I mean, I'm not, no one's going to try and FaceTime me uh, via the book, so that was a lot easier but I mean I was absolutely gripped start to finish. Thank you, thank you I think um well, it is a story of abuse, and it's probably gripping just <laughs> the nature of things. But mm. um, I'm glad to hear. I think that's that's a compliment to receive as an author that your book was gripping. Mm. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I think that's really what you want, don't you? I mean, mm. you want people to open it up and not take endless tea breaks mm. in between. Mm. So, thanks. Yeah. Now, the book tells the story, and for those uh, who will, of course, remember uh, Tracy uh, as being uh, the face of, of Morning Live, uh, you were um, on TV, on radio, Metro? Metro FM, Kai FM, SFM. All over the place. Uh, so you will recognize Tracy's voice, uh, you will recognize her face also, uh, which uh, we don't obviously, uh, for the purposes of this medium, have the benefit of giving you, uh, but I just to say, she is as beautiful and glamorous as always. Uh, oh, now, you. the book is um it's a journey it's a journey from um the through your the relationship with this man who you never name i don't name because um I, he he has become irrelevant 
Mm. Um, he could have been anybody for the purposes of the story. The story is a story of abuse. I wanted to document how easy it is to become ensnared in a relationship like this mm. without even being aware that it's happening to you because you're in denial. You're thinking, well, I can't possibly be in an abusive relationship. I mean, it's something that I decided as a child. It was never going to happen to me because my mother was beaten up. Mm. My father used to beat my mother up, and I decided as a, a little girl that this would never happen to me. So when it started happening to me, I mean, I think I really, whew, I gave him, you know, I excused all his behavior. Um, but then when the bruises are there, you, can, you, you can't ignore it. So, yeah, the story is um, it started off, I wrote the book so that others can understand the complexity of an abusive relationship. You know, I started my prologue with the Oscar Pistorius trial, and I was so enraged watching that trial and how um, I speak of Michelle Berger, who was the neighbor who heard Reva screaming. And um, um, and how she was belittled in the courtroom, and she was a witness. I was a victim, and I was equally belittled in the courtroom. Um, so I wanted to share how that process works so that people can be given some insight. I mean, I would love everyone to read the book, but I would also like magistrates to read the book mm. and to get some understanding of what goes on in an abusive relationship. I want to talk a little bit later about the, about the trial and, and the court process, which I think is the part of the book that really, I mean, a lot of it had me raging, but that, that in particular I found very, very difficult and very, and yeah, quite difficult to swallow. Mm -hmm. Let's talk, let's go back to, to childhood. You're about five or six when you moved from uh, Port Elizabeth uh, to Brits. Yes. And your dad built this house and you, your twin brother and sister and your mom all moved in. Uh, you had all this felt around you. Um, and it was completely foreign. Completely foreign. We moved foreign. from this little town, this little neighborhood, um, you know, the sea, and we moved into this dust bowl on this dry piece of land in Brits. Um, everybody spoke Afrikaans. We were English. There was nobody English around us. Well, everyone was so far away anyway, you couldn't see them because we were living on these small holdings. So it was a complete and utter culture shock. And yes, my father was an incredibly talented man. He built this house, wooden slat for wooden slat. Mm. Um, it's not the grandest house you've ever seen. But um, he was he was a very talented man, but unfortunately he was unfortunately he was an alcoholic, yeah. and he succumbed to it, and he became my memory of him is of a violent, abusive man. And you say in your book, uh, I was ashamed of my father, the drunk, as one is. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and I think and there were so many parallels, and I think this is what's going to uh, really draw people to this book, is that uh, although we may not talk about things out in the open, uh, we may not talk about our alcoholic uh, fathers or mothers or brothers or sisters, they're there and mm -hmm. people know it's happening. Uh, we may not talk about our abusive spouses, mm -hmm. uh, but it's there and it's happening. We may not talk about drug addiction, but it's there. Uh, and I think so many people will read your book and say, that's me. I've, I've experienced that, or that's what I'm living now. So many people have experienced it. Yeah. Um, and you just sort of think in the age of awareness and the times that we live in, you just think that surely it's not happening anymore, but it yeah. is. It yeah. is happening. Yeah. It's very prevalent. You describe in the beginning of the, of the book that your father was abusive to your mother, and you talk about lying awake, waiting uh, for your father to return home drunk, and I think that anyone who has lived... Uh, with an alcoholic will relate to that. I certainly did. Mm -hmm. That knowing uh, the sound of the tires coming up the driveway uh, and the lights, the headlights coming on and then hearing and just essentially counting down to... Well, you're constantly gauging. Yeah. You're always living on high alert. You're trying to see how... Because everything in your life is affected by whether your father is sober or drunk. So you're always living on, on high alert. In fact, I read a, something this morning about post-traumatic stress, and I, it, was, it was such a beautiful analogy. It was about if you go into the wild and this lion comes along, you know, the instant fear that you feel, your eyes dilate, you start sweating, the, the fear of the lion. And, and living with an, a violent alcoholic parent is very much like the lion comes home every night. Mm. Um, and that really resonated for me because it sort of explains how on edge you always are. Yeah. You know, um, holidays, weekends, those are terrible times for alcoholic yep. families. Um, that's when it all falls apart. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, if you are just joining us, uh, I'm joined in studio this evening for Book Club uh, by my friend uh, and uh, author Tracy Going, whose name you will, of course, know uh, as uh, the woman who perhaps used to wake you up every morning, maybe not directly, but uh, indirectly via the medium of uh, radio or television. Tracy, of course, uh, was a newsreader for uh, Metro FM, Kyra FM, SAFM, uh, and of course uh, was uh, on television as well uh, on SABC3 uh, and had a number of shows. Which I Shows. Well, I've been around for a while, you know. I had lots of shows. <laughs> so, as you've just said, you you make a promise with yourself when you're nine that you will work in television, you will write a book, and that you will never, ever be beaten up, ever. Ever, ever. I, I carry, It was a mantra for me. I carried that with me all my life. And then I was beaten up. And, and I can't help but whether it was inevitable... Um, given where I came from, was it because my father was an alcoholic that I ended up in a, you know, abusive, that ended up in an abusive relationship? Or was it just realizing my biggest fear? Because I was so vehement and so adamant about not ever ending up like that. That it was just, I think sometimes we do that. We realize our biggest fears. Um, and then the other times, like when I write the book, where I think it was, it was just meant to be. It was, um, I was meant to write the story. I was meant to share the story. Mm-hmm. I was taken by some by the the relationship between uh, yourself and your father, and it's one that, although the alcoholic in my life wasn't my father, he was my brother, but still that that male figure, um, who for, for all intents and purposes was the the sort of father, the male figure in in my home, uh, and uh, and you write about him, and you said I gave up on him long before his body did. Sure. Well, I'd lost faith in my father yeah. a long time ago. Being a parent, yeah. um, being there for you, being a safe place to go to, um, he was none of that. So, yeah, yeah, I gave up on him. Powerful. Before he, I mean, I didn't see him for the last really ten years of his life. Yeah. Because we had him. I actually had him removed from the home. Um, yeah. And do you, do you, when you think back on your childhood. Was were there elements of it being a happy childhood? Oh, of course, mm. of course, they're good times, and the good times are really great because also, in a you know in a in an abusive relationship like a long marriage, particularly, I mean there are a lot of honeymoon phases. So and then things are great, things mm. are great. Then he's got a job, then he doesn't have a job, then things fall apart, crashes the car, um, no income. You know, but certainly they're good times. Oh, yes, and I, I do mention some of the good times as well. Mm. You know, I was my father's favorite. Mm. I was his little girl. I was the eldest. And um, and I was the one who sort of related to him the most of us children. Yeah. Um, I was the one who could step in between. I could tell him to stop hurting my mother. Yeah, yeah. On uh, page 79, I had to write this down because I really... I really related to this, and you were talking about uh, how, as you've just said, you were your father's favourite, um, and you write, my compliance safeguarded us all. And I think you were talking about there when your father would say, let's go, um, come, my girl. Yes, and you coming would, with me, and then you would have be to the go one off that would have to crawl. go, yeah, and, and drive home with him, inevitably uh, inebriated or, or whatever. Um, my compliance safeguarded us all, and that rung tr- so true because that's exactly my compliance also safeguarded us all. Yeah. Did you resent your mother for that? Um, I think as I... I think as a child I wanted to protect her so much but when I say my compliance safeguarded us all um, very often I was the one as the eldest who was left to to try and broker the peace or to mediate or try and keep things calm or keep my brother and sister out the way because my brother was was unfortunately receiving end of a lot of the violence Um, but I mean, it wasn't only me. My brother and sister also had to play their roles, and there were times where they also had to think. But because it's my story in my book, I say, you know, I talk about what happened to me. Mm. Um, but you asked me, how did I feel about my mother? Mm. I asked you, did you resent your mother? Did I resent <laughs> Tracy going? <laughs> I think um, 
I think as I got older, I think when in my early 20s, when you go through that time of your life where you're trying to find answers, um, you know, it's very easy to blame other people and that. And I think it was very easy to resent her because I, at times, because although I, my mother was also enormously brave, you know, mm. she kept us together. Sure. She kept food on the table. She kept a roof over our head. But she was I a think, teacher. She was a teacher. Um, and I think, um, sure, it's quite difficult. Um, did I resent her? I think there was a lot of my time, a lot of my youth where I felt that she should have removed us from that situation. Mm. And I think you look to your mother to keep you safe. Mm. Because to me, he had a problem. He was an alcoholic. So I looked to my mother to, to keep us all safe, but she couldn't keep herself safe. Mm. Yeah. So and you write I about trust her to yeah. keep me safe. And then you write about the same situation a few years later or many years later when I'm a mother. With your, when you're a mother with your son. That's right. And I know how important it was to me that yeah. I needed to feel safe. So I wanted my son to know I could keep myself safe, which is why I also went to court yeah. and laid charges. Because I wanted my son to know that this behavior is unacceptable. Mm. Mm. Tracy Going is in studio with us uh, for Book Club uh, this Sunday evening. Her book, A Brutal or Brutal Legacy, a memoir, uh, is out now to go and buy, uh, published by uh, Melinda Ferguson under her MF Books Joburg label, uh, which, of course, is an imprint of Jakarta. Do yourselves a favour, uh, go and buy it now, maybe not right now, although you can buy it right now if you go online, actually, so no excuses. Uh, and uh, if you would like to hear more, uh, then uh, come to the uh, book launch which is happening this Wednesday at, what time is it? 5.30? 5.30 for 6. And they start shop. They start shop. Yeah, no, they, they do start shop. Uh, although, uh, if neither if Tracy or I aren't there yet, then they can't start. No, no, so. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be there. Do not fear. Uh, and we're talking, as I say, about her uh, her memoir. First book called Brutal Legacy. Um, and probably last book, too. It was a torturous process writing a book. You've written a book. It was a torturous, torturous. process. It was long. I have never worked so hard in my life. Um, I remember so you. So it's one book only, I think. No, I don't. And in there you say you might write another one, so I'm <laughs> holding you to that. I don't know if I, I don't necessarily want another memoir from you because I think this is, or may, may, not for a few years. You've got to like do some, you've got to get like <laughs> old. But I would love to read fiction from you. No. Oh, but. your writing is, oh, your writing you. is, is superb. Thank you. Thank you. Dickens-esque, uh, with, within the detail. Uh, so, uh, we're talking then about Tracy's book, as I said, uh, which tells, uh, the story, not just, uh, of the, uh, abusive relationship that you, uh, may remember hit the papers, um, uh, during the 90s, but also of Tracy's childhood, uh, and the abusive relationship, uh, in respect of her father, who was an alcoholic, uh, and also abusive himself, uh, towards, towards, uh, the, the family. You mentioned that you knew that he had a problem. Now, this is what I always find very interesting when dealing with people who are relatives of alcoholics um, I always knew that my brother as an alcoholic mm -hmm. did not choose to be an alcoholic I and I even very very small I understood the concept of a disease and somebody being unwell uh, and that he hadn't chosen it my mother didn't seem to understand that and I think maybe even today struggles with the with the notion mm, of mm. you know and so a lot of I knew that for that for him to but I know a lot of alcoholics who are non-drinking alcoholics so I I think choice does come into it a lot do um, you yeah I do I do because I know I, for me as as a recovering alcoholic I didn't I and you're not drinking I'm not drinking but I'm in, I'm in recovery. I think you'll always be in recovery, won't you? Always, I mean, always. always. Um, but it's a choice that you made. And I, I knew that my father was never going to make that choice. There came a time, you know, we'd packed his bags. We'd sent him off to rehab as children. We'd packed the soap. We'd, you know, mm. um, helped him carry his suitcase. And just always believing, like, okay, this time, this time, this time. But, you know, eventually he crossed that he just crossed the line and you just knew there never was going yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just couldn't. I just felt that we weren't important enough. Sure, sure. That's, uh, you know, and, and that's 
that's very difficult and I think that a lot of people will relate if if he loved us enough or if he and mm. I know f- from you know and f- from my experience it wasn't about if I loved people enough I would stop I generally didn't know, know how to stop and, and also being on the other side uh, as the family um, I know um, that I would I was able to to realize it's not about loving me enough or us enough as as my mom and, and myself he my brother just simply didn't have didn't have the tools and that and that was his that was his experience um it's sad i don't think it's the it's certainly not the easy path to choose no to drink yourself to death is not the easy way to live your life i'm going to ask you to read something oh i'm interested to see what you choose what you've chosen mm. Page. I'm glad you didn't make me choose. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so I essentially want you to read until. Let's see, where did I, where did I say, uh, until uh, there? Did you mark from the top? You, no, oh, from but, there. From there, but read from there. Okay. <laughs> Heart is sinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, you've chosen a bit about my father, mm. and you've chosen exactly what we were just talking about, isn't yeah. it? About. We weren't important enough. That's right. The sentence before the one you've chosen is, he lives among us like a drunken ghost. Um, Sure. He stops caring, too, about us, about himself, about anything. And in between, he even loses the urge for his angry, violent binges. It requires too much. And from there, he slowly disappears into his drunkenness until he is in a permanent state of steady insobriety. If he staggers and falls, he remains where he is. He picks himself up only when he wants to or when he's finally able. The blood dries unevenly on his face until it is cracked and flaked and remains unnoticed. It works better that way because then we can pretend we don't notice either. We don't have to worry that he's unwashed and dirty or that his hair's grown long and hangs in neglected strands. It means we don't have to care either or be ashamed. In the end, there are a few words between us. It seems a lifetime ago since he last found me in his glassy eyes. Yes, my girl, he slows. His words coming out before he can find me. His look always delayed. Coming after, too late. Trying to focus. You think I'm a rubbish. Yes, you are, Dad. You're a rubbish. I spit my words, unkind and uncaring, knowing that my father is still conscious enough to flinch. But I know when he steps into the high court in Pretoria, he will have cleaned himself up. This is when my mother eventually finds the courage to get divorced, and I'm asked to testify Mm -hmm. as a witness. He would have needed one or two or a few to calm his nerves, but he would have washed, combed his thinned hair into place, used his hand to flatten a few hairs over the dome of his head. He would have shaved the peppery grey stubble from his drawn cheeks. He would have worn his beige polyester trousers, the pair with a cigarette burn, because they don't crease, and he would have tucked his faded, short-sleeved, checked cotton shirt tightly into the back of his trousers, but it would still have crept out. He would have pushed it down with his thin arms before entering the court, leaning forward into his unsteady gait. He would have worn his beige polyester trousers, the pair with a cigarette burn, because they don't crease, and he would have tucked his faded, short-sleeved, checked cotton shirt tightly into the back of his trousers, but it would still have crept out. He would have pushed it down with his thin arms before entering the court, leaning forward into his unsteady gait, holding his briefcase tight. My mother had given the briefcase to him as a gift many years earlier, and he is seldom without it, especially towards the end. He carries it about as if its hollowness is packed full of papers of great importance, as though the shiny tanned leather bag is tangible proof of prosperous life, one that has been well lived. We, his children, mock him behind his back for his empty suitcase. <sighs> it was so sad, but he would still have been, have, you know, he, he would have cleaned himself up. He, he would have been, he still had his pride in his broken way. Mm. Um, he knew it was important enough to look as good as he could on the day of his court case. Yeah. Is it difficult to read? Is it difficult to read? I, I do. I want to cry. Okay. <laughs> but I won't. Or at least it's radio. It's radio. It doesn't matter. I cried when I read that. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's sad I because did. it's not the way we want to see our father no. or our parents. No. No. And, and, I, and I cried because it brought up a memory. Sorry. I cried because I, it brought up a memory of the last time that I saw 
my brother b before he committed suicide and he was he was living on the streets and I was driving past and I just happened to see the back of his head and I and I stopped the car mm. and he was living homeless in a in a car park and he you know that unkempt it's and terrible I, I it's was once driving as well along the road after I'd had my father removed and he was hitchhiking on the side of the road. I haven't put it in the book. I mean, there's obviously lots you don't of put course. in the book. Of course. But, um, but, but I understand what you're talking about. And it is. It's just gut-wrenching to see a broken person. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is. It is. And knowing that you are helpless in... You, you cannot help. It's, it's, it's a personal... Yeah, you know, it's a choice you have to make as an individual to, to live... I don't know. What do you say? Um... I don't want to say good life because that's not really what it's about. But um, we make choices in life. And, yeah. I, and I think as well my story doesn't really end triumphantly. You know, it's not like no. it's a redemptive story. But I, I, I like to believe that I'm the triumph, yeah. you know. And that's another reason that I, I resonate with you. Because my, not, neither is mine. People kept saying to me, there was no happy ending. And I was like, well, because there wasn't a happy ending in that sense. But I am the happy. I'm yeah. still here. Yeah. I'm still here. Yeah. You know, living, and living your life, as and you that's mentioned. got to be that's got to be worth something. I want to bring you back now because the, the book goes, and we sort of we we move between eras. Uh, we move from you meeting the man, him, mm -hmm. uh, and then back to childhood, and 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 it's I love the way it's written in that way. It's and there are so many parallels also to be drawn, which which make it I think even more powerful. So you you met this man. Uh, and and I don't want to give too much away, so I'm going to be quite selective uh, in my uh, in my details. But I, I want to go to that moment where you you had just got together. Yes. Um, and he he'd reappeared back in your life after after some years. Uh, and well, I knew him vaguely yes. from from the film industry. So. Um um, you know, and I knew him, and, and in my book I talk about, I knew him, he was never a measured person, you know, we didn't know him, he was known for throwing tantrums and being aggressive, mm. and that. so I knew that, but when I met with him that very first time, he'd phoned me to ask him to help him with a marketing plan, and I sort of felt, well, you know, it was, it, really it cost me nothing to give some of my time to somebody who I vaguely knew, mm. um, and, and that's why we met over this sort of work meeting supposedly but he'd actually read an article about me in a fair lady magazine mm. and then had phoned me um yes and i just found him so charming and yeah i think wow this man he's so in touch with his feminine side he's read the fair lady art i mean you know which men read fair lady articles mm. and knew all the details and stored the information i was completely flattered he made me feel as though i was interesting um and I, I, I was completely bowled over. Yeah. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I berated myself for having listened to previous rumors about him. Um, and I, I, I ignored the warning yeah. signs. Well, this is what I want, want to touch on, the, the, red flags the red flags that you, which you acknowledge um, in, in retrospect. This, this man had a reputation, as you say, for being aggressive. Um, something else that sort of sparked a, a red flag for you was that he had sued his mother um, him and his brother had sued his mother for inheritance, which you... Well, that's enough to make anybody uncomfortable. Very. But, um, <laughs> very strange. His mother for inheritance. What a dreadful thing to do. But then, of course, he'd said she was an alcoholic. Um, and, and I knew the destruction that we, the financial ruin we'd had as a family because of alcoholism. So I thought, well, maybe, perhaps, possibly, there was more to the story and... Maybe, I don't know, maybe you sue your mother for your inheritance. Mm. But it was a red flag. And yeah. And yeah, and the fact that you had you'd heard him once uh, while he was at your home screaming, uh, using some very choice language, screaming at an, at an ex-girlfriend, and this for me, this the last one resonated for me um, in terms of the the abusive relationship that I was in, in in my late teens. He didn't introduce you to anyone. He didn't introduce you to anyone. And when I asked why, but I was also so busy. I was doing breakfast shows. Mm. Um, you know, it didn't really suit me to be going out and really meeting people because mm. I had a child and then I was working long days and long nights and whatever. But when I did ask, um, he said to me, no, I just want to be alone with you. And I thought, oh, wow. How wonderful. Wow. Yeah. But it is a red flag. It oh. is completely a red flag. Being isolated from your support structure, your friends, your family. It is a big red flag in an abusive relationship. Absolutely, and, and that really resonated with me because I th those same things I heard. I just want to be alone with you. It's so great when it's just us, uh, and you know. And for a while, that seems plausible. It's flattering. It's, oh, it's, oh, it's hugely flattering. Yeah. Hugely but flattering. But it's not normal behaviour. No, 
No, it's incredibly antisocial behaviour mm. and, and, and they're controlling. Yeah, and, and very, very controlling. Um, you talk about, I just want to skip back to childhood for a minute because we, we touched on, on the, the idea of alcoholism and, and what it means. You went to um, a 12-step programme when you were uh, when you were younger you and your sister did your brother also go no we were at boarding school together right so we went and it was the first time we'd been to we went to Alateen, which yeah. is alcoholics anonymous for children for teenagers um it was the first time we'd ever been had any intervention of any sort any support nobody had ever supported before i mean i i, I tried to contact the police over the years we had i tried neighbors i tried family and it seemed that nobody would want to help and only as i write the book did i realize how difficult it was for other people to actually mm. intervene because i felt that there were people that could have helped us yeah but when i wrote the book i suddenly realized that actually again you can't take choice away from people so th they really what could they do they couldn't stop my father from beating my mother up i mean what did they you know so that was a that was a big realization for me writing the book mm. was that um but you didn't did you ever carry any resentment towards those people and no, sort of saying you know you why didn't you bear witness for for what we were going through not resentment but i did feel i think particularly with aunts and uncles that they should have intervened or my grandmother Your grandmother my grandmother <laughs> oh, but i think it was so you know, she wouldn't help. Um, and I said to her, but he's your son. You've got to do something. And she said, there's nothing I can do. And I think now as a parent, I think, oh, I don't think you want to see that in your child, you know. No. So my grandmother didn't want to see that in her son. And she just preferred to, to ignore it. So the yeah. fact that she could hear him beating up his wife, my mother, um, I think it was just too much for her. She just pretended it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you meet that, you meet him and there are a number of red flags, but as you've talked about, you know, he was charming and, uh, it, it all seemed wonderful until there was an until. What was the first? The first until was, was him screaming at his ex-girlfriend on the phone. Right. And right. swearing at her. And, um, and as he put the phone down, I looked at him and I said to him, oh. you'll never speak to me like that, will you? I mean, that was not a question. Um, and he said and he to me, said, no, you'll never deserve it. Oy. And I thought, you know, no, he's right, I'll never deserve it. But looking back, he was transferring his his behavior onto me. He was saying, you'll never deserve it. And if you did deserve it, then I will hit then you. Then I will, absolutely. Um, he, was yeah, he was throwing his words onto me. I had to take responsibility for his behavior, which, yeah, that's where it starts, doesn't it? Where yeah. you start thinking you're at fault, yeah. you're guilty, you've done something to make him angry. And all this time, uh, I mean, your career is going tremendously well. It was fabulous. I was flying. I yeah. was, it, was, it was awesome. Um, Something that later got used against you in court, really. Yeah. 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 Without Which, giving too much away. Without, <laughs> without, giving, too, without giving too much away. But, but, but certainly it kind of uh, came, came full circle. I think they would use anything against me in court. You know, they could paint a picture of me as hysterical, unreasonable, violent. Um, they accused me of being a drug addict, they of a, a, a um, Prozac addict. Mm. Um, um, what else? A bad Which mother. Which is strange because Prozac's not actually addictive. Oh, is it? I didn't even know that because I've never <laughs> taken it. <laughs> but it didn't worry them. They were going to throw it all at me. Unbelievable. I mean, they were going to paint a picture. They were going to do whatever it took to keep their client out of jail. And yeah. It didn't matter how much they destroyed me in the process. Yeah, absolutely. You write, Tracy, in, in graphic detail about the abuse. Um, well, I think you write about memorable, you write about memorable moments in your life. Mm. And I can tell you right now that I will never forget. Yeah. So it was easy to be quite graphic. I didn't want to overdo it either. You know, it's, I think it's rough reading about abuse, um, particularly an incident. Mm. So there was a very fine line between drawing you in and taking you with me on the journey and then nauseating you yeah. with violence and yeah. so I uh, hope I didn't do that but no. uh, yeah so I did I was quite graphic I mean I do talk about how he slammed his fist into my face and and in that and in reliving it and therefore putting it down on the page uh, and you know and I've had this people say you must have an incredible memory and I don't know that it is having an incredible memory but like you say if there are moments in your life that are unforgettable um, you know, I, I remember conversations that took place in my house when I was three, 
four years old. And I remember them word for word as if they happened a few hours ago. So I'm not sure it's necessarily about people, you know, people say, must have a great memory. I don't know if it, if it is that, no, or rather some things are indelibly printed well, in one's are, brain. But I think also what happens is when you're sitting down to write a book and you're writing about the, those moments, you actually have to remember. And I think very often with trauma is we actually choose to forget. Mm. So when you go back into your memory, you will remember what happened. And you will, in fact, remember if the sun was shining or if it was raining. You will actually remember those details mm. if you go back and think about it. But as I say, very often, mostly with trauma, I think it's a survival thing, is we just we choose not to remember because it's it's better that way, really. The situation, though, was that this man, you were terrified for your life. <laughs> I'm still terrified for my life. Are you? Yeah. Yeah, he's a dangerous man. I'm not the only one he's beaten up. No. But, um, yeah, that's that's the way it is. I will never not be scared of him. Even after all this time? Yes, I think if he had to walk in this door, you wouldn't see me for dust. I'd be gone. Um, yeah, I'm, I am. I'm terrified of him. Sure. Even after all this time. Yeah. I think that's an important thing that people also need to, to realise with uh, abuse is that even when the abuse stops or is, is stopped, the memories continue. I still wake up in a cold sweat some nights thinking that I'm still involved with my him. Uh, and so I really, I get that. At, at what point is the threat removed? Yeah. Yeah. If you are just joining us, uh, I'm in conversation uh, this evening for Book Club uh, with Tracy Going, uh, and we're talking about her newly released memoir. It's called Brutal Legacy. It is available to buy uh, in all good bookshops, and it's published by uh, the fantastic Melinda Ferguson, who I'm afraid we must we must talk about in uh, in just a moment, uh, Melinda and her birthing of books. Uh, but uh, as I say, the story is it's called A Brutal Legacy, a memoir, uh, and it's in bookshops now, written uh, by the beautiful, gorgeous, lovely. Tracy going and I can say that because she's thank my you. friend thank you, thank um, you write in your book about the relationship uh, with your son which is lovely um, difficult at times to read as, as well because he was such a small boy when all this was happening and his into it to read about his interpretation of mm -hmm. what was happening and how you described you know to your son how he'd how this man had had assaulted you and your son in his little sort of little boy said what well, was it like this and punching and, and kicking he, and needed, he needed the details yeah um, to try and create a picture in his own mind and understand. Obviously, you don't give the details, but mm. um, yeah, he wanted to know, you know, did he hit you like this or did he hit you like that? And um, But it's something he, he's now 26 and he still can't talk about it. Mm. He still, I, I mean, even when I write, was writing the book, I phoned him and I said to him, can you remember anything about that? Because I'm writing about that. And he said to me, no, mom, I can't. I can't think about it. I don't want to think about and it. I, and yeah, it'll always be between us. I mean... Do you feel guilty? I'm sad. Mm. I don't feel guilty. I'm just sad that he was exposed to that because I never wanted it for him. Mm. Never. I mean, I never, I never, ever thought I would ever expose my children to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he told you that he'd put out a hit on you at one point. Mm -hmm. Did you believe him? Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, you talk. Another thing that I really related to was was you talk about how small your life had become during the trial. Well, I was too scared to actually leave my home. I mean, I spent most of that time behind locked doors, making sure that he didn't get to me. He told me. He told me he was going to take me out, um, and I believed him. And I think very often. I mean, we all know that very often when women leave. That's when the trouble starts. Yeah. So it wasn't something I was unaware of. Um, and that's why I, I took all sorts of measures to safeguard myself and my son. Something that really I found really interesting, and I just want to ask you really sort of as a, as a friend, okay. is, your relation, is your relationship <laughs> with Alex, who is your son's father? And yes. I'm assuming Alex is not his real name. No, it's actually his second name. But, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So talk, because... He just seemed, uh, and you had a very short marriage, um, and you raised your son together. Yeah, um, we had he a very... He seems like a thoroughly good egg, Tracy. Um, he wanted to, um, he, he was very supportive. He, he was right there by my side. He was actually taking a diplomatic post and going overseas to live overseas. And he said to me, come with, 
Um, and But my life was here. I mean, mm. I was building a career. At, it, I was going nowhere. And he said to me, I'll testify for you. I'll do, you know. And I said to him, no, don't worry about it. It's, I'm going to be fine. I didn't think I needed his testimony. But when I saw what happened, only afterwards, you know, I realized it might have actually helped enormously having a male voice in the courtroom. Yeah. Because my prosecutor was female, my attorney was female, my supporters, we were all women. And it was very much women, uh, us against them in yeah. the courtroom. It was diabolical, and I hope I paint that picture oh. quite clearly in my book. Um, but my ex-husband was very supportive. I mean, he was horrified by this whole thing. He was the most non-violent person you could come across. Mm. Are you still in contact with him? No, he lives overseas, and we've sort of lost contact. He got married, and, you know, I got married, and, you know, life goes on. Does he know about the book? Yes. <laughs> He does. Has he asked you about <laughs> no, the book? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk uh, about the about the trial, but I, I'm so keen not to give anything away. But but you said yourself that the defence attorney at the trial, albeit doing his job, but he really tried to discredit you. Do you? How do you feel about him today? Well, I've um, well, I have no respect for him. Mm. I think that um, I, I, I understand you've got a job to do. But I don't think that means that you should try and destroy somebody in the process, especially when you know what has happened to that person to start with. Um, I, I thought it was shameful. I thought it was despicable, the behavior in the courtroom. And you say, you know, it's unimaginable, the lives that so many women are living. Uh, and I thought, yeah, that that's exactly right, because we don't know. Mm. Uh, and as much as we say it's time to talk about it, it's time to talk about it, mm. there will be people for whom they feel that they can never talk about it. And I'm fairly sure that this book may uh, change minds in that regard. Well, that'll be good. It's brave. That'll be good. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that was also we and art about putting pictures in, Melinda and I. Mm. Um, and we went with the pictures, because often you think, oh, do you know, it wouldn't happen to her. Oh, he probably pushed her. And that was it. You know, she's exaggerating. Um, and you do, you sort of think, oh, those that doesn't happen to them. It only happens to them. Um, and I want to make it quite clear that it can happen to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And does happen to anyone. You say about the trial, um, and, and, you know, there will be women who are, who are listening in. There will be women who read the book um, and will know what you mean when you say, I am the one on trial. I am the one who will be found guilty or innocent. I mean, that just seems incredulous in a situation where here is a man uh, who is charged with, with assault. And there's, and there's visual evidence and there's witnesses and there's all sorts of things. I mean, even the visual evidence came under scrutiny. Yeah. <laughs> well, my visual evidence, photographs of me being beaten up, was mocked in the courtroom. Is this, you know, what is this? You've blown it up to full scap. Um, uh, it, was, it was shameful, shameful. I want to stop talking directly about the book now because I, I feel uh, if I want to ask you anything else, I'm going to have to ask off air. Otherwise, I'm, <laughs> going, to, I'm going to give so much away. Uh, but uh, And I want to talk a, a little bit uh, about the writing process. But before I do, before I do, what did you leave out? Um, what did I leave out? Probably more my childhood. Mm. Mm. I thought that was enough picture that I'd painted. I mean, there was truly some horrendous things, especially as my father's life to completely disintegrate it toward the end. Yeah. Um, so I left that out. Um, Did anyone ask you to leave anything out? No. No. Melinda would like me to put everything in. Yes. <laughs> as she's she a does. very brave publisher. <laughs> but I'm... Um, yeah, I think I, I said what I wanted to say, I say um, and try and paint the picture of what happens, particularly in the courtroom. That yeah. was that was an, another victimization on a completely different level as well. I mean, I'd been beaten up, and those were sort of two isolated, really two isolated incidences. Although, I mean, there were a lot of other things that he did, pushing mm -hmm. and shoving mm -hmm. and whatever. But I speak about two particular incidences that happened, the one that brought me to take a restraining order, and then, of course, he came and beat me up. But I think it was a complete and absolute onslaught in the courtroom. There was a moment uh, that uh, in which you caught the defense advocate rolling his eyes and the magistrate nodding. Mm. Mm. Shameful. Shameful. Oh, it got my blood boiling. Mm. And and the, the the trial sort of comes comes to um, towards the end of the book. By that point, uh, I think one is so invested uh, in in Tracy. You, you know, it's it's it really is so gripping. And you want to know, it's not even so much that the outcome almost becomes 
not irrelevant, but it's not it's not the focal point because the detail that you give of the trial uh, just stands alone to the point where really maybe the, the outcome does become irrelevant because the horrors that you've had to go through. Well, uh, I think by the time you'd got to sentencing, it, it it had become null and void because it was you know I'd been hit time after time with all these allegations and and the way they disregarded me in the courtroom, the way they belittled me. So yeah, I mean the outcome certainly wasn't a surprise to me. Mm. Um, but you're quite right. It really there was more to the outcome was just well didn't really matter what the outcome was. At the end. To go through all of this also in the public eye, which is what you had to do. I mean images of your your battered face across the papers, headlines, um, complete untruths around your motivation for uh, for prosecuting as well. Yeah, um, it was really my son that I wanted to protect from the photographs because they were on front pages of newspapers and magazines. They were all over the place. You know, people were talking about it at his school. But my uncle phoned me today and he said to me, after the Sunday Times article, he said to me, how does it feel seeing your battered face again in, in, in you know, newspapers? And I said to him, I'm completely immune to it. Mm. it. It was so horrendous at the time. But then it just became, it just became another thing, yeah. really. Yeah. Talk to me about your writing process. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, it was completely torturous. I found it the toughest thing to do because I'm not a writer. So I Tracy. really... No, I'm not. I really... Somebody, <laughs> one of the reporters for one of the magazines messaged me the other day. She was reading my book because she's doing an article. It's still to come out. And she messaged me, said to me, did you write this yourself? I said, yes. She said, are you sure you didn't have a ghostwriter? I said, no, 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 no. I wrote it myself. I wrote it myself. But it was a lot of hard work. And I think I just wanted to respect the reader as well. Why do you say you're not a writer? Well, it didn't come easily. No. It was a lot of hard work. No, but there, but there are other people who I shan't name who also say it's it's a lot of hard work. And they don't write as beautifully as you. I mean, really, you write. But I mean, I knew this. But Oh, thank you. Um yeah. I mean, you are a writer. What do you think well, a writer I is? I think, I think I've, I've been in communication all my life. I think that's really what it is. So maybe being on radio, you know, you're painting a visual picture, mm. I mean, using words or whatever. So I think maybe that skill, that carried over. But I read a lot when I, I read every memoir I could find while I was writing this book, yours being one of them. And in fact, I had a complete meltdown the one day and I phoned Belinda. I said, I can't, I can't. Look at, oh, Sarah Jane's book is so brilliant. I Stop can't. It. Anyway, and <laughs> anyway, she said to me, you're writing completely differently and I thought yes I just got to believe in the process and yeah. um and and people always ask us whether it was cathartic and of course I think that's, I the, that's the yeah, question yeah, isn't yeah. it which I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that, yeah. that up rather than me I don't want to be that predictable person yeah, yeah. that's asked well um I think yeah I think I've always known for 20 years I was going to write a book um was it cathartic I think if I had written that book 10 years ago it would have been a completely different book mm. so I had reached a point of healing I have worked I mean I talk in the front why I started writing the book now because I did have a breakdown um through the Oscar trial because I found it so horrendous a lot of similar a lot of players were the same mm. um they were recognized you know faces that were mm. in my court case mm. were in that case um and um so the book would have been a completely different book. And I didn't want to write from a point of any revenge, actually. I have, I'm quite grateful for my story, actually. Mm. Um, there is no revenge. Um, so I wanted to try and explain how, as I said to you earlier on, you know, how you sort of get trapped in the whole thing and what, what happens. Because it's really the same boxes that are ticked. And that's why by speaking about my father and about speaking about the perpetrator was that there were so many parallels. But the difference is you can walk away from somebody else, but you can't walk away from your father. No. I mean, your father is your father. So even though I have shown and told the terrible things, some of the terrible things that he did, um, I also hope that I was compassionate toward my mm. father. You know, um, I think because he were. was my father. I think you were. Yeah, you know, I think you were. I wouldn't have shown the same level of compassion for him if yeah. he beat me up. Yeah. Um, yeah Understandably. Because I could walk away and I did walk away, but my father is... He is in me, I'm, you know. Yeah. I mean, you have father. his eyes. <laughs> I have his eyes. Uh, talk to me about your writing process. Are you a sort of because I I know this about you. You're a runner. I'm a runner. Um, I mean, a big runner, like and I, pro and a I did proper lots runner. Of thinking when I was yes, and I was like stand, a marathon runner. Yes, yes, and I'd stand at the start of marathons and whatever, and I'd be sitting on my phone making notes, you know, remembering. Um, the book went with me everywhere for a year. Really. I, because I'm not a writer, I had to really <laughs> <laughs> objection. It was, it was like a hole in my head, and I just had to get it 
Well, because oh. every time we met while you were writing, you would grab me frantically and say, what about this? And what about that? And then what? And I just, but, and I was sort of kind of in my own pre-book bubble, just going, no, it'll be great. <laughs> it's fabulous. Um, do you feel a sense of relief now that it's here and it's, it's really been relief. born? Yeah. <laughs> it's enormous relief. I'm so glad it's over. I don't, I, I, I don't even want to write anymore in that book. It's over. Yeah. It's gone. It's gone. I feel, Did it? people say to me, you're a different person. I don't know if I People am. say that to me. Well, there you go. So there's a process. I didn't realize how powerful writing was as a, just as a way to express yourself. You know, I know people journal and, and now I understand why they do it, but I'm still not going to do it because that sounds like a lot of hard work. But, um, but I understand now why people write to, to heal. Mm. Are you worried about any reprisals? From? anyone if you have the courage to write a book then you must accept whatever comes your way you know if you're prepared to put it out there on that level and I know from broadcasting from being in the media for years um, if you're putting yourself out there then you've got to take the hits as well let's just go it just goes with it I'm gonna to have to be brave and shrug it off and maybe ask me in a month's time but but for now I know that that does come with it and it's part because and, and the reason I ask that is because you and I know this. Well, I don't know this man, but I know who he is. Mm. Um, I mean, he's still alive. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he's in the country. I, I suspect he might be, but I'm not certain. So on on that basis, there, you know, he he also will have lived the last twenty years of his life. Mm. Uh, he will know that this book is about him. People, other people will know that this book is about him, and Google is widely available. Do you worry about that? Um, well, as I said to you, I am still afraid of him. Yeah. So, but I've just got to hope for the best. You have, I must just add off, add, uh, before we before we leave off, uh, is that you are happily, happily, happily married. I'm very happily married, very happily married. And actually, he's been remarkable at the end of my book when I, in my acknowledgements, I say that he's never, he's never going to read the book. Is he but really I, not? Honestly. No, he doesn't like reading. He's not a reader. But neither does mine, and he, I made him read it. No, mine's not going to read it. But he is very proud of me, and he thinks this is the best thing ever, and um, yeah, he's completely supportive. But he'll never, I know he'll never read the book, and maybe I actually don't even want him to read the book. Because I'm a gog. <laughs> I met him afterwards, and it was almost as though we sort of we met, and, and then we just sort of carried on with life together. And he's just not one of those people who sort of carried on with life together. And he's just not one of those people who asks all those questions. And I'm very happy not to have to share it. So it's fine. He won't read the book, and I'm okay with that. He won't read the book, but thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of others will, uh, because it is superbly written, uh, as I said, and uh, and absolutely gripping from start to finish. It's called Brutal Legacy, uh, a memoir, and it's by my friend Tracy Going. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is Late Nights, only on Cape Talk. What an incredible person and an incredible friend. Thanks so much to uh, Tracy Going for joining me uh, in studio this evening. And uh, a message in uh, on the WhatsApp saying, Sarah Jane, remembering uh, my dad arriving home, the nervous tension, everything. Uh, as a teenage middle child, I stood up to my dad to help my mum. Uh, it was so hectic. It was so sad for my mum. Uh, thank you and uh, much love to you. And uh, another message in, thank you for bringing that wonderful and legendary woman in studio. She's super intelligent. My mother and I are big fans. I used to ensure that I watched Morning Live every time before I went to school as a young boy. Her TV presentation skills and professionalism are amazing indeed. Good to hear you're doing well, Tracy.